Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of the Ask a Black Woman podcast with your girl, Shanera the Mouthpiece. I had the awesome opportunity during Black History Month in February to interview Dr. Dina Bennett. Um, She is the senior curator for the National Museum of African American Music that is set to open Labor Day weekend 2020. We abbreviate that by N-M-A-A-M or call it NAMAM. So we're going to conclude Women's History Month 2020 with this fantastic interview. You guys stay tuned. You don't want to miss this. another podcast episode of Ask a Black Woman with your girl Shanae with a mouthpiece. It is actually the last Thursday of Black History Month 2020. And I have the awesome privilege of having a very special guest here um, to talk about something that I would like to hashtag future in the making. Not history in the making, but future in the making. Her name is Dr. Dina Bennett. Um, She is the senior curator for the National Museum of African American Music, which is set to open Labor Day weekend 2020 in Nashville, Tennessee. Everybody, put your hands together virtually for Dr. Dina Bennett. Yes, 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 yes. Dr. Dina Bennett, thank you so much for uh, being a guest on my show. Um, Ask a Black Woman has a very um, intentional slant. Um, to highlight the um, the efforts and um, of African American women, and you're definitely somebody um, that I want to dig deep into today. So, if you could just lead with your background a little bit, um, um, the highlights um, for the listeners, please. Okay, well, thank you so much. I'm really honored to be a part of your conversation today, and. Um, I'm really excited about the National Museum of African American Music. We are located in Nashville. Uh, We will be the first museum of its kind to uh, focus on completely solely on the story of African American music from its very beginnings in the 1600s all the way up to the present day with hip hop. And everything else in between, which includes the spirituals and gospel and blues and jazz and funk and soul, hip hop, rhythm and blues. We cover all of that. So what brought me to Mm -hmm. the project, just to give you a little bit of background, I think you asked for as well, Mm -hmm. is that by training, I'm an ethnomusicologist. Mm -hmm. And that's someone who works with African-American music. Well, my specialty happens to be African-American music and culture. So we don't only look at the way that music is created, but we also look at the way that it functions in communities and in society. We look at the role that it plays. Because sometimes it plays, um, it's a bomb, you know, for us. If if Mm -hmm. we're sad or it's entertainment, if we're gathering for a party or uh, if we're at church, it, it drives the, the service, the worship mm-hmm. service, but has a ritualistic function. So music is a part of our everyday lives and we're happy to celebrate it in this way. Absolutely. And I, that can't be glossed over. <laughs> when I think about um, 
this brief period, I'm originally from Chicago, and if you know okay. anything about how, um, you know, the first thing when you find out someone else is from Chicago, what's that you from? And, you know, people will say we're a segregated city, but we do identify ourselves by what side of town we're from. And uh-huh. um, from my junior year all the way up through uh, junior high through um, almost when I graduated high school, we lived on the north side. And the north side had its kind of uh, stereotype. Anyway, um, we were a little ways from our home church on the west side. And um, I ended up going to a Methodist church. It's my first time being in a Methodist church. And... It was very interesting, and I'm not talking AME, I'm talking about straight, you know, mm. see, and for them to have uh, the music, like, I'm, I'm used to, like, drums, I, they had no drums, I, and it just really shocked me in my little 12-year-old mind, I was like, where's drums, where's the shouting, and you're right, um, for the African-American experience, it's a, it's a totally different ball game, so this this museum, it won't be just, I, in my, my opinion, I think it won't just be somewhere where a black woman like myself can celebrate my heritage but for the people on the outside that have no idea how we how we do musically this is going to be huge yes most definitely and um we're looking for uh visitors from uh age zero to 99 to come through the doors Mm -hmm. and to uh celebrate and to to experience this journey absolutely um so i'm going to Rewind just a tad. I definitely want to uh, provide, I guess, a track, if you you will, for um, young Black women that might be listening or even, uh, you know, older women who might be trying to uh, figure out themselves, maybe reinvent themselves um, 2.0 in their second half of their lives and trying to figure out what they're passionate about. And I always, I'm curious to know people's... uh, track how they ended up in the positions that they did and some of that was um i was trying to convey that in the prep questions that i sent over to you yes ma'am and you know the background from which you came from and then how you landed in this particular role uh with your your education Mm -hmm. uh like for instance uh, if we can start from that route like how did you go from your bachelor's degree uh, which was in communication studies, and then land all the way with a PhD in ethnomusicology. And honestly, I wasn't familiar with that that term, ethnomusicology, until within the last uh, ten years because of the the okay. mega church I went to in Chicago, Dr. Jeremiah Wright. Oh, uh, yes. he has that background in that. So. I, you know, I'm pretty sure it's not a big buzzword amongst uh, a lot of our people. So definitely, can you kind of bridge that gap for the listeners? Sure, sure. Um, I am originally from Kansas, mm-hmm. and uh, I come from a musical family. Okay. Uh, my father is a musician and a singer, and my sister is also a musician and singer, and there mm-hmm. is myself. Uh, when I was a child, I was in some uh, musical programs, uh, one particular program uh, that was named after a, a, a young child who was around my age, but she had perished in a car accident. And so mm-hmm. her family, um, who her father was actually one of the ministers in town, they mm-hmm. created this program uh, called the Melody Brown Fun Factory. Her name was Melody Brown. And the Fun Factory was at the university in my hometown of Topeka, Kansas, and it focused on the arts. Mm-hmm. It focused on dance, theater, 
music, art. And so going to that program, there were some folks who saw me and they saw that I was gifted. I had a knack for um, for music and, and being uh, musically inclined. Mm-hmm. And so from out of... They saw I was musically inclined and they offered me a scholarship to take piano lessons. Mm-hmm. And so from there, um, I played piano and then I picked up the clarinet in school mm. and followed that all the way to marching band. And then I eventually became a pianist at my church mm. and worked my way all the way up to becoming a minister of music for the church, mm-hmm. playing choir and all of that. So I always had the music going, but it didn't really dawn on me that I needed to make it my life's work mm. until I was, um, I turned about 30. Okay. Um, is that middle age yet? Maybe quite, <laughs> not, not quite. Wait, let me, let me, let me, let me stay right there for a second. So you come from a musically inclined family um, with, it seems like your uh, members of your family being in the front, the performer aspect, but it doesn't sound like you were um, initially in the front part of it. Although you, people knew you had the, the acumen, the knack for doing it. Am I correct? That's correct. Yes. Now, I will say that my father was always in the front because he and his brother had a band and a rhythm and blues band, and they made a couple of 45 records. Okay. Awesome. You were in your household then. (laughs) Yes. And it was always played in my home, gospel, blues, that kind of thing. And um, I took an attachment to it, (laughs) but like I said, I didn't really think about switching my whole life around until I was 30 Mm. and I was working at the university in higher education and I was getting burned out of working with students and decided that I wanted to do something that I really felt passionate about Mm -hmm. music wow I just I definitely don't um, I'm just trying to make sure I'm um, feeding feeding the listeners when you know the fact that you did a whole at 30 to go, yes. you know go with your passion but also it's not necessarily in the performance aspect because um even for myself um definitely uh, in my younger years uh, only primarily focusing on being out front i'm naturally outgoing that sort of thing um mm-hmm. but then as you you go you progress and you know you, years go by you are made aware of other ways that you can your gift and your talent so I think that's important for people to 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 know that you can still be a success um in and and still be a benefit to the world at large uh, by another aspect and another career exactly and, and a big thing that I've I've tried to um practice in my life is staying true to self Mm-hmm. Because when people, when you get a PhD, people naturally think that you need to be in the classroom as a tenure track faculty member. Mm, okay. But there are other things that people do with their PhDs. A lot of people work in non, um, non-faculty positions. A lot of people are researchers. They're out here in museums and cultural centers. They're in business. They're in mm-hmm. management. 
So I always said uh, that I didn't want to get caught, if you will, in a tenure track position that I wanted to be in the field, Mm -hmm. out among the objects and artifacts of our people, Mm -hmm. of telling the story, weaving the story of of our musical journey with um, real material culture and such. I know this. So I've done some adjunct teaching. I don't mind doing that at all, mm-hmm. but I really love being around the people. You know, see the ethnomusicology, the ethno has the cultural part in it. Mm-hmm. Because we talk about the people, we talk about the lived experience, mm. people, which naturally comes out through mm-hmm. our artistic form. Mm-hmm. What they say, some things um, can be taught, but other stuff, it's got to be brought. You got to be in there. Yes, yes. And so, you know, uh, would I have, you know, uh, um, more opportunities to uh, have a job in ethnomusicology and teach and have insurance and all that? Sure. Mm-hmm. But maybe I don't want to go that route. Maybe I do want to hold out for that job in nonprofit management or in museums, you know, which are few and far between if you're mm. looking to work in the black. Yeah, I mean, this This is like, okay, so, you know, in this media age that we live in, people are throwing the term cu- curate. He or she curates. She's a curator, et cetera. Um, but this is like a real title. This is something that you do. And um, they're just trying to give people a realistic idea of what being a curator really is, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and what that entails, especially at the level in which you're doing it, because you haven't, you've been doing um, this curator work um, for some time now, um, uh, you know, how did you even get get your first position into that? Definitely want to get just mm-hmm. a little bit more there. Sure. Well, while I was in uh, graduate school for ethnomusicology, I uh, secured an internship with the American Jazz Museum in Kansas City. Mm. My internship was in education, uh, the education department. Okay. But I knew that if I could get my foot in to the museum, you know, then I could possibly be able to work my way around to working with the objects and artifacts. That was um, a long range goal. Let me get around to the artifacts. Exactly. That's the long range goal. No, that's right. <laughs> and then with ethnomusicology, we do field work because we're like anthropologists of music. Mm. So I returned to the museum and the, the 18th and Vine area is a historic area where African-Americans lived in Kansas City mm. due to segregation. And you know, that one street, mm. you know, like Bill Street and all, where mm. we had our dentist, our lawyer, mm-hmm. our, our um, shops, our hotels, mm-hmm. you know. So they revitalized the area and they created this museum. So going back and doing my field work there and getting into the history of the people, how this distinct Kansas City jazz grew out of the area, what that meant for the community, what that meant for the city, all of that uh, was important to me mm-hmm. and, and uh, further fueled my interest in wanting to work with the uh, material culture that came out of this this, this unique community and circumstance. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was always um, always me trying to get it, you know, working with the um, the artifacts, and I did eventually become the um, the curator 
and collections manager. Um, there. That's what I want. I want to definitely talk about. Has has your travel? Uh, has you going after the artifacts? Has it? Um, taking you out of the United States for the artifacts or tell me more about how you get the artifacts uh, for the music. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, what's interesting, you know, is that African-American music is purely an American thing, mm-hmm. you know, it's indigenous mm-hmm. to, to America. It's only created here, no matter what genre mm-hmm. you're talking about. It may have roots in Africa, but once we got here and we expanded and, um, created these different genres and they transformed into these subgenres and all of that is truly an American thing. So mm-hmm. I haven't had to go um, abroad to secure anything. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what we do is um, there's another curator here and there is a um, curator and there's a collections manager. So as the curatorial team, um, we work with musicians who um want to give some of their items they may Mm. want to donate them or they may want to loan them Mm -hmm. Uh, many times we work with the families Mm -hmm. of the musicians perhaps those who have gone on but they they have left their families with their valuable uh, instruments or clothing or papers and such and so we're able to secure items that way we also have participated in some estate auctions. We mm. received some really, really wonderful things from the estate of B.B. King recently. Wow. Um, we also received some things from uh, the estate of Ella Fitzgerald. Wow. Gellington. Mm. Uh, sometimes we have gone on eBay to see things. Mm. Um, when we purchase from places like that, we always have to be cognizant of whether or not the artifact or the object is authentic mm-hmm. and many times the they will come the object and artifact will come with documentation that states the actual proof that okay. the document is legitimate that it did come from this particular artist they did wear it they did use it they did play it you know whatever the object is Mm-hmm. So in, in curatorship, that's called provenance, establishing the provenance. So it's really like proof, mm-hmm. establishing the proof that something is what it is supposed to be or what people that say. That sounds intriguing. It's, it's part research, investigative, but then it's like, how does it feel when it, you, you've proven it, you know, and this is real. This is actually what he or she played or wore. It must be quite a feeling then. Oh, it's awesome. It's so awesome. I mean, like, I used to work at the B.B. King Museum and Delta Interpretive Center mm-hmm. in Indianola, Mississippi. Mm. And when we were in, um, you know, the museum isn't large enough to, to hold all of the, the things of Mr. King's. So there's off-site storage. Mm. So we went to off-site storage, and we found the box that had his Kennedy Center honor it took my breath away. I bet. It really did. I could not believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things where I had to kind of put my hand over my heart. I was like, oh my gosh, this is his Kennedy, Kennedy Center honor. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty awesome. And, you know, I always talk about 
being entrusted with the care of, of objects and artifacts as a sacred kind of um, absolutely a sacred kind of uh, job. You know, there's there's just something about being in charge of, of, of preserving these these wonderful one of a kind objects and artifacts that uh, you know we have a certain duty. Yeah, you know, to make sure that we we preserve them right, that we take care of them, um, and that we just we value them. Yeah, this especially when you think about in large part, it, you know, so much of um, African American history, and most of us don't know, can't go back generations. You know, just on an individual, non-celebrity type of fort, um, and so. Uh, when there is parts of our culture that is preserved it helps us to be strong in our identity um, even if we don't, don't even know our personal family history so the work that you're doing is absolutely important and necessary for our people well thank you so much I am I am very honored and very I feel very favored mm-hmm. that I'm one of the people that um, gets to do this job every day mm-hmm. let's um, shift gears and let's talk a little bit more about um the museum itself now i okay. want to hyphenate it and say it is in ma'am <laughs> but how you how are you guys pronouncing it um are you saying in mom or in ma'am what's the correct way you guys are pronouncing uh-huh. it? <laughs> we're saying nay ma'am Oh, so it's like y'all put an A in between the N and the M. Exactly, exactly, and and it's a it's a long it's a long A consonant or, or vowel sound. Nay, ma'am. So nay, ma'am, you guys. Um, so let's refresh. So nay, ma'am. N as a Nancy, M as a Mary, A A as an Apple, M as a Mary, which is short for the um, for the um, uh, National Museum of African American Music. Um, so specifically, um, let's go into the fact that this didn't happen overnight. This is 18 years in the making, and how you you all initially was going it was going to be more. Um, music, art, and culture. So it's going to be kind of, you know, a little bit more varied. Um, but you guys narrowed the focus down to just music midway through development. And so one of the things I was wondering was, you know, with the opening of the National Museum of African American History in DZ, did that kind of uh, influence your you all's decision to narrow it to that focus? Because it might have been kind of similar. Uh, no, actually, the decision to narrow it down from the National Museum of African American Music, Art, and Culture to the National Museum of African American Music was made before the opening of the uh, National Museum. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was it like trying to switch up that focus, you know, halfway through the process? I mean, this is a large undertaking. So um, can you give us a little bit of insight on that? Yeah, I was not here at the time. I was not an employee. Okay. Uh, So I wasn't here when the change was made. But I think that uh, the story of African-American music is so deep and so wide that uh, unto itself Mm -hmm. that uh, we probably would have, um, we'd probably still be working on it 
if we're <laughs> the art and culture. But because we changed the name and shortened it and the focus to um, music, but because we're doing it from an ethnomusicological perspective, mm-hmm. you get the art. You automatically get the art and culture. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Everything is so entwined with each other. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it doesn't necessarily need to be in the name uh, because you get it with the music. Yeah, uh, this is we even just stayed on when I think about hip hop by itself. How hip hop, it was, you know, is a hood thing, and the, you know what I mean. It was and and how hip hop is everywhere. It's it's in commercials. It's mm-hmm. it's it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. I mean, it, it influences clothing. It influences slang and jargon. You know what makes people are saying that are hip and the way we write and yeah 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 you're right it's definitely a byproduct without having to make it part of the name definitely and if you go back to jazz you know the whole language of jive and all the stuff you know that they were using all the language to communicate and even the fashion then yeah it's all intertwined for sure okay well definitely all right um (laughs) let's talk about you know what at the, at the end of the day, it's definitely about the money, and let's talk about the um, the economic impact of this. The fact that it's coming to the city of Nashville, and uh, you know how it's going to, by numbers, is it um, going to definitely impact the African American community? Is there an intention to bring them up or to hire them specifically? Anything along those lines? Yeah, well, the museum is expected to attract more than 400,000 annual guests. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of those will be new visitors to Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are located at 5th and Broadway. Uh, on the 5th Avenue side, we're located across from the historic Ryman Auditorium. Mm-hmm. It's a national staple. And then on the Broadway side, we are located across from uh, the, um, the arena there that's dedicated to our uh, hockey team Bridgestone Arena so we're in a really great location we'll get a lot of the tourism that is coming through Um, we will probably have more than 100 permanent jobs available for local residents Mm. and sure we hope that the African-American community will want to be a part of this Mm -hmm. I know that I've gone and made uh, a lot of connections and I'm uh, people have been kind to say, you know, that they want to stay involved and they even want to volunteer or they mm. want to be a docent. Mm. And uh, we certainly welcome that. You know, Nashville has a strong African-American uh, presence, uh, mm. all going all the way back to the Fisk Jubilee Singers mm-hmm. University. Mm-hmm. The same spirituals to help raise money for the mm-hmm. university. And that's be our first. We have a changing gallery space okay. in addition to our permanent galleries. We have mm-hmm. a changing gallery space where we will rotate um, new exhibits every three to four months. Mm-hmm. This space allows us to flesh out certain stories. You know, for instance, if we wanted to look a little bit closer at music and fashion, we could mm-hmm. do a gallery space. Mm-hmm. So first exhibition that we'll have in the Change in Gallery mm-hmm. is on this Jubilee Sands. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Not the like that. 
that. Hmm. So, and then, you know, as I spoke of Kansas City and having, you know, its own street where African Americans lived, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in Bill Street, just in Memphis, you know, Nashville had its street called Jefferson Street. Okay. And that's where a lot of folks like Jimi Hendrix and B.B. Hmm. Brown and Etta James, different folks came and played all the clubs over there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's definitely a um, definitely a, a connection to the black community. You know, when I think about just the fact that the numbers, the pred- uh, predicted numbers of 400,000 annual guests coming to the museum, you just, you have, I, I sit and I think like Wow, it it took to 2020 to have something like that. Yeah. You know, this is crazy. <laughs> oh wow, it took that long. It took that long. It took that long. So, um, it is definitely something to be uh, celebrated, and and we're so excited. So and I've excited. never had an inclination to travel. I've traveled all over the world, and <laughs> one place I haven't been is Nashville, Tennessee. If any any reason for me to come to Nashville is going to be this. Okay. Well, we'll be looking <laughs> for you. And you let us know when you're going to come through so we can be yeah. at the door to meet you. You know I will. Absolutely. Yeah. So just put that happening. out there. You know, hashtag people be doing the girls trips. Uh, put this oh, on the yeah. calendar, everybody. Let's, just, let's go ahead and plug that. This is one yeah. of those uh, educational moments and family oriented on top of it all. I want to definitely bring up the programs. Uh, yeah, you know, sure. You guys have several, but of course, um, just for the sake of time, I want to focus on um, two programs that seem to be um, youth oriented. I really mm-hmm. like what I saw with the From Something to Nothing and the Music Legends and Heroes. But, um, you know, especially when I think about your uh, very unique educational and career path um, is there maybe something in the in the work that's works that's specifically geared towards grooming young black girls to become leaders in the music industry um, that's doing the work to preserve in the culture and it might not necessarily be on the front side anything like that coming to mind we have not put anything in place as of yet for um, African-American girls, but I would love to work closely with our Director of Education and Public Programs on an initiative like that. Because we need Um, more Dr. Bennett's. Hey, that's right. Now, I mean, go ahead. Well, I do love talking to young people and I do love talking about ethnomusicology because it's something that they may not have heard of and they may not know that a career like this exists. Mm-hmm. So, uh, a lot of times we're just not aware of the possibilities. Mm-hmm. And if I can be on the front end of that, I, I would love to, um, you know, I'm going to be helping our Director of Education and Public Programs with the DOSIP program. I was over the DOSIP program at the B.B. King Museum, working with youth, and um, I could definitely see some kind of program where we talk about uh, African-American women in the music industry as well. Mm-hmm. We have um, honored several. We have we have a, a, a Legends uh, program that we do every year. It's a, a 
fundraiser and we honor musicians and um, those notables in the music industry and was it, it might have been a couple of years ago we honored Mona um, Scott mm-hmm. man okay did and so you know I, I think it's important that young girls see role models in these these areas that we we may be few and far between but we are represented so mm-hmm. okay so I just want to put that little that yeah, little bit big, big thing in your head because you know, you know the STEM efforts and stuff are really trying to make sure that um, mm-hmm. young girls are included you know not just on what people typically right. want associated with we can do anything mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I want to go back and uh, definitely let's talk about now. This is uh, to me just educating me. Um, the fact that you guys mentioned fifty um, genres and subgenres of music. Mm-hmm. Now, regular people, we just know you know <laughs> the regular stuff: hip hop, uh-huh. jazz, gospel, and all of the things. So, can you name one or two um, genres that most regular people are not even familiar with? Um, that maybe even influences what we know today. Well, sure. Okay, well, I don't think a lot of people, um, well, I don't know, but I don't think a lot of people know about Zydeco. Uh, okay. Well, you now, know. I just performed in uh, New Orleans. Yes. I just yes. performed there, and what blew my okay. mind is seeing Black folk. I feel like it's our own rendition of uh, kind of like what looks like country western a little bit, but it's sure. like it, it feels because we Black folk we just add soul to everything. It reminds yes. me. I feel like when we step in Chicago, it still <laughs> had that kind of feel to it. You know what I mean? But I don't even know how to define Zydeco. I just know what I felt when I saw. It. Well, I think that part of it, too, is the instrumentation. You know, a lot of these different genres, you have different instruments that help to define it. And the accordion is very, very um, central to Zydeco music. And you usually don't think about African-Americans and the accordion. You're but right. Like, Never think no, about it. <laughs> we usually don't put that together. <laughs> but it's definitely um, a, a music that's kind of similar to Cajun music, if you will. You know, it kind of has a, it's kind of fast tempo and it has a, um, has a, a dan- very danceable beat. So if Zydeco. you guys have never heard of Zydeco, it's spelled Z-Y. Now that's, I'm glad you, you brought up something that I faintly are familiar with just because of my recent trip there. Okay. C-Y-D-E-C-O and I'm telling you, pull it up and, look, and legit see black people. Cowboy yes. has the whole nine, but they are getting you down. But if, like I said, if you're from the inner city like I am, anyway, like, the sound, it all feels different, but then you don't see that soul part on there. We just, we do everything like to death. We do it differently and it's beautiful. We do it. We put our own spin on it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's Zydeco. Any other ones um, that might come to mind you want to share with the listeners? Oh, uh, sure. Um, so there are other things like um, what well, your listeners may have heard of doo-wop. Yeah. You know, you know mm-hmm. I think usually doo-wop isn't that, you know what, and this is me um, just vaguely having a sense of, of it. 
isn't I would always associate doo wop with like the fifties and right. the, the 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 guy groups and the the conk hair and that yes yes usually contexts or suits and they each had you know different parts tenor bass you know baritone um and they would sing and they were usually very um you know songs focused on love mm-hmm. you know teen- romance yeah. and i feel it- like that i do genre yes i feel like they were really serious about harmony like it was yes. no joke they used to sing on the street corners, you know, which is probably how, um, you know, New Edition and other folks started, you know, just singing, just in the in the schoolyard. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time my uncle played the movie Coolie High for me and my sister. And uh, right outside the little, you know, the, the little restaurant in the Cabrini Green, uh, they was doo-wopping right outside the little restaurant where they yeah. got in trouble. And yeah. Yeah. All right. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's another, that's another genre. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, by the time you add up all those genres, mm-hmm. you know, that, you, uh, you know, I mentioned and then you're like, oh yeah, you know, then they really add up. And, mm-hmm. uh, so there are quite a few that we, that we cover and, um, and it, even though it doesn't seem like it gets major airplay it's not highly commercialized when you um and let me know if i'm on the right wavelength here but it seems like okay. when you get into certain regions of the country this is deeply rooted in that area and the people they have a certain pride uh, and this is pretty much what people play you know in their neighborhoods in their homes Mm-hmm. And um, I think it probably gets more play like like what Zydeco is for um, Louisianians people, or I almost feel like um, what um, um, in DC, uh, gosh, uh, go go, just go go. They just made that like uh, the official uh, like music of DC. I saw it posting like yeah. yeah, like go go is its own regional thing. That's how I feel about house music out of Chicago. It we even have our um, subgenres of house music um i think about like the early 80s my mother taking us to uh to the park on the west side and house house music was really really slow if you know anything about like um the godfather of uh house music who passed frankie knuckles, frankie knuckles. And it was slow it was like godfather of house and that was my mama's <laughs> genre right yeah listen and then by the time i got to high school um we had our own subgenre we called it ghetto house and they they sped it up and they started putting little cuss words in it but it still had (laughs) my mother's in there and then we started adding our little footwork but it's so it was definitely a regional thing and now Mm -hmm. that i got older they didn't have you heard of the the subgenre after that called juke music Yes, I have, Juke but is, I don't know a whole lot about that one yet. I feel like my 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 generation had babies, and now the babies have grown up and they're in their twenties. And the juke music, it in my day, ghetto house was like a hundred and maybe hundred and forty five beats per minute. 
the kids with the juke they didn't split they spun sped it up and you they're dancing they're doing footwork off 170 beats per minute the footwork mm-hmm. is absolutely ridiculous and what's even with what used to be something that we clutched on it was our pride they've made it a worldwide thing um literally here in los angeles i um when i first moved here i lived in little tokyo and all the japanese kids they doing the same footwork that i grew up doing in the streets of chicago they take classes for it but it's interesting to see what was a regional thing become bigger mm. i didn't went left but yeah yeah <laughs> just that it, it, i feel like it goes under that whole heading of genres then a subgenre then a subgenre how it uh transforms over time exactly yes Mm. Yes. so let me let me put that bug in you somewhere in somewhere in the museum if y'all don't already have there should Uh be something dedicated to house music ghetto house and juke and (laughs) chicago footwork that's a genre unto itself i hear you well we definitely do talk about house but you know that's another thing about our programming you know not only the changing gallery space but the programs will allow us to take a deeper dive too on some of the other kinds of genres or other Mm -hmm. kinds of uh trends that are going on with with music and uh Mm -hmm. other expressive culture so um yeah put it in the changing gallery absolutely so many opportunities you know to really um dig down deep you know dig a little deeper in the storehouse of god's love so uh (laughs) yes yeah so we we uh we are excited about that and um you know hey maybe you can come and talk about juke I can. It's fascinating you, that you would say that, and I would be remiss not to bring one of the the pioneers with me. Um, but I ended up just, you know, women we're always evolving. I ended up um, a couple of years ago getting my uh, certification to teach group fitness through the American Council on Exercise, and I decided to bring some Chicago flavor to LA, and I created a class um, called Juke Out with Miss Shay. And listen, I took the street elements of Chicago footwork and I made it into like a dance exercise thing. So I wasn't killing the women necessarily okay. with the really, really fast <laughs> stuff, but just enough okay. to get their heart rate up. Uh-huh. And, um, but, and also that's just me with my age group and kind of merging the, the younger with the new. And uh, yeah, even dropped that's the song. All right. I dropped the song with um, DJ Sluggo. DJ Sluggo used to make the ghetto house music tapes when I was in high school. And he and I collaborated back in 2018 um, to make a, a song that I came up with, which is definitely Chicago shook music. So like, uh, yeah, I could I could do a little do a little bit, but it would definitely be paying some homage. So let me know, and I I soak it down. It's a okay. That would be fun. Yes. Yes. So, 
we're gonna take a look left here and the way we kind of close out with our guests we do something called rapid fire and i intentionally oh, okay i intentionally um do not send these questions um to the people when they ask for prep questions because i like the more um uh, authentic but normally that first answer is like straight from the heart it's on the spot and it's not too terrible but um just um it gives people insight into you and um whatever take okay. home that you want to give to the listeners okay okay now, i'm an audio book person but i'm t- typically i like to turn uh turn the pages but um any books that you read recently um that you want to um, uh share with the listeners and particularly because again I cater to black women anything that was an aha moment meaning um, within the last year uh, uh, as far as a book that you want to share and that we can add to our reading list here sure well I didn't read it last year it's probably been maybe two years ago but I really love The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkinson I think that's how pronounced her last name and it's really a book about the great migration Okay. And so actually with that topic, you know, there's a lot about African-American music, but she traces Mm -hmm. the uh, lives of three different uh, African-Americans who lived in different parts of the South. There's a man that lived in Louisiana that goes out to California. He eventually becomes the the medical doctor for Ray Charles. Mm. A woman who's from Mississippi and she goes up to Chicago like a lot of Mississippians did in the Mm -hmm. Great Migration. And then there's a man over in Florida who goes up to, I believe, New York. But um, it's really fascinating because it's it's their life story. Um, We go on this journey with them and it shows that even though they left the South to go to the North, they still had challenges there Mm. or the West if it was the, the young man. But it's a beautiful book. She won the Pulitzer Prize for it. And it's one of my favorite books. I've often... Uh-oh. Looks like we had a little situation there. Dr. Bennett, can you hear me? Hello? Still there? Yes. Okay. Okay, go back. So you were just you um, saying that was one of your favorite books. It looked like you were going into another book. Oh yeah, and I was just gonna say I'm I'm trying to make my way through uh, Barracuda by Zora Neale Hurston. You know that that's on my reading list, but that's a confirmation I need to get on it. I'm caught up in so many books. I actually have a different uh, okay. series that I'm doing called um, Popcorn and Audio Books, and. Uh-huh. I got so many books to review online. I've just got the audiobook thing has completely taken me over, and I it was just my way of trying to maximize my traffic time here in LA. Uh-huh. And, yeah, I'll add that to the list. But so far, guys, so The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson and Barracuda by Zora Neale Hurston. Okay. Yes. (laughs) So those are the um, the two books. So add that to the list. I'll let you know what I decide to um to pick up first and review on the other side for pop pop, popcorn and audiobooks. Awesome. All right. And how about what is your do you have a favorite quote or mantra that you live by? And if you could tell us who um who said it. Oh, okay. Yes. I do. I actually, um, I know, you know, it's related to music. All right. Look at the the theme. (laughs) It is. And I actually use it as part of my um, salutation in my 
uh, emails or part of my, maybe not my salutation, but in my, um, it's just a greeting at the bottom of my, of my, of my signature line mm-hmm. and quote from Ralph Ellison. Mm-hmm. And if you're familiar with Ralph Ellison who wrote yeah. Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. And he says, in the swift world of time, music is a constant, reminding us of what we were and of that toward which we aspire. Mm-hmm. Art that trouble, music will not only calm, it will ennoble me. Wow. Okay. Let that sit, you guys. And I'll make sure to put that in my quotes uh, uh, when I uh, post this episode as well. Oh, we always I feel like you know and this might change throughout our seasons of life but what is guiding us what are you know mm-hmm. you know it's like a book you know mm-hmm. what is the theme what in acting what's your motive you always oh, understand yeah. with that yeah. so that's why I typically ask that question mm-hmm. like what do you live by what what's the thing mm-hmm. that you know somebody dropped on you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's very good Yes, and if you, um, so this may or may not be similar to the last question, but do you have a hero or a shero and why? Like, why why did you make this person someone that you looked up to model-wise? Oh, man, wow. (laughs) Goodness. If you're like me, that's just like saying, well, pick your favorite song. Well, how am I supposed to? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say that I just really admire it. Events. I really admire um, who was Christian for NASA. She recently came home to meet her maker. Uh, she was a sorority member, my mm-hmm. sorority, and okay. she was absolutely brilliant. You know, just reading mm-hmm. her story again how she hand computed and manipulated those numbers or not manipulated, but how she hand computed those numbers to get us as humans to the moon. Isn't that something? Just unbelievable. She was the computer. Woo. She was the human computer, yes, she was. So I'm gonna say Catherine Johnson. I know that's right, represent across the board. Yes, you can do it but at the end definitely want to give people the call to action I feel like primarily I think it's a huge responsibility for African Americans to make sure that we support um um nay ma'am I gotta get this in my mind because I've been saying (laughs) in my own pronunciation Um, but I think I feel like it's a responsibility for us to um, support something that's about us mm-hmm. uh, um, you know making it a part of like if you guys are planning you know your family trips make sure you go down there um, in terms of um, being getting a membership there um, mm-hmm. or if you're in education maybe it's a trip I you know I remember back in the day with our eighth grade trip or yes. even your trip mm-hmm. people need to really have that a part of their curriculum um so i'm thinking in terms of call to action but if you want to um add on to that um let people know what they can do 
Okay, most definitely. Museum memberships are available for purchase. Um, you can go to our uh, website, which is blackmusicmuseum.org. Also, uh, if you go to the website, you can get more information on the museum and the upcoming grand opening activities. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to uh, link to us on social media, across all platforms, uh, we can be reached at the Mayam N M A A M. But yes, think about it: uh, school groups, family reunions, places, uh, yes. all those kinds of things. Girls trips. Um, we do have our our educator is working on a curriculum mm-hmm. that will be used in the schools or can be mm-hmm. used in the schools. So that's an extension of our programs, educational and public programs as well. Um, so we're excited about launching that as well. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking, I know as we come um, uh, actually closing um, this episode, uh, I, I want to, I think there should be a, a, a NAMAM day or month. There's Black History Month, but you know how like there's a holiday for every day of the, the year. <laughs> you know, I don't. I've never heard of the Black Music Holiday. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just Black you know, Music I, Month. All of a sudden, June. I'm hearing Earth, Wind, and Fire with my head. <laughs> Love's holiday Black Music Month is June. The month of June. I've never heard of that, Doctor. Yes. Yeah. Okay, lifelong learning. Amen to that. I'm so glad that you uh, again graced us with our time. We went 10 minutes over. <laughs> well, thank you so much for the opportunity. <laughs> mm-hmm. Blessings on the work that you're doing. Um, uh, on your individual journey, how you obeyed the call and, and oh. wherever it takes you um, even beyond the museum. So I'm saying that to you personally. Um, but I am, um, you know, going forward, just the, the road you have ahead of you uh, with everything with name out when it opens up, because that's going to be a whole another season to it. Well, thank you so much. And good luck to you, too. Thank you for this platform. Yes, allowing me to be a part of it. Absolutely, and you guys, that is another wrap of Ask a Black Woman. We're saluting Dr. Dean, and thank you for listening and follow her. Uh, follow the links and everything that I'm going to have um, in the post. Blessings to you, Dr. Bennett. And Bless you have a good evening. You. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye bye. Bye bye.